So uh, many of you uh, likely know um, our like church family uh, tragedy that struck our church family and, and, and my extended family um, as well this last week. Uh, some of you, this might be new information, but it's been covered pretty heavily in the news. Um, Emily Hurd, who grew up in this church, daughter of Jenny and Scott Hurd, part of our church family for 15 years, something like that, more than that, I think, um, ha- was in a plane crash, horrible small plane crash uh, that took the lives of the two people that she was flying with. Um, miraculously, she survived. And she's uh, very injured, um, but is recovering in, in the hospital in Portland right now. And um, I just wanted to share a little bit of an update kind of this morning and talk about that, that whole story from the perspective of, of being there with her after we heard, heard the news and we spent the week uh, there with the family and uh, being able to see her and everything. But shortly after we got word about this plane crash, we didn't know what the results were. And we, we just, the family was converging as quickly as they could to get to Portland. And within a few hours of that news going out, all the family that was local had, and that were able to were able to make it over there to, to be with her, to be in the hospital with her and to hear news. And then in over the coming days, uh, more, more family that were further away were able to come and be there with her. We are incredibly grateful that she survived the crash. She's in remarkably good condition for the kind of crash that she was in. Video footage of that crash, I, I know many of you have seen that. It was reported widely, as I mentioned. Um, and the, the, the comment over and over again that people would give is that, how does anyone survive that? And that's, that's what we were asking as well, is how does anyone survive that? And so we have these two feelings and intense gratitude um, for her life, that her life was preserved, and also brokenheartedness over her two close friends that were in the plane with her that passed away and lost their lives. And so I, I want to say that while everyone was assembling family-wise to be there um, with her, we also felt strongly just this intense sense of people are praying for her and lifting her up. And I'm so thankful for those of you that are part of that. I want to ask for continued prayer for her recovery, continued prayer for her healing. Um, it has been just remarkable to see and to hear even. Like in the waiting room, we had people coming up to us and just saying, hey, we're praying for Emily. We saw the, the news. People would, you know, we were kind of just posted up in a waiting room because only two people at a, at a time could be back there with her in her room. And so there's just this large group of people in one corner of the waiting room and just talking about what happened and people that were there for other procedures and stuff or waiting with other family members were coming over and offering condolences and even cash in some cases and letting us know that they were praying for us. The Newburgh uh, Police Department, um, one of the police officers came to, um, to the waiting room and he said, hey, our whole department's praying for her. I mean, just incredible to, to witness that. Um, and so please keep Emily in your prayers for complete uh, emotional healing, physical healing, uh, just th- this has been a devastating impact on our, our church family, certainly, and on our, on our family. And so I just pray that, I, I just, yeah, covet your prayers, and I'm grateful for those of you that have been praying. I want to ask for you to continue, uh, continue to pray, lift up especially her parents. I can't imagine as a parent going through something like that with my child, and I'm just her uncle, you know, but just the impact it's had on me, um, I can't imagine what they're going through right now. And so please lift them up in prayer as they're her support system. We've been able to talk with her. We've been able to hug her. We've been able, to, I mean, it's been amazing and miraculous. And so we're incredibly grateful for that. So please keep the prayers going, though. Um, th- this, is, this is important. And, I want, and we're going to take a moment to pray for her in a moment. We do have a picture I want to show you. All the family that were able to be, they were breaking all kinds of rules. And I think a nurse got in trouble for this picture, by the way. But this is uh, everybody, like family, siblings, significant others, 
um, that, that were able to come into the room with her and, and be there with her. And this lifted her spirits like you wouldn't believe. She loves her family. And so she was incredibly grateful to have the whole family there with her. Um, but she's doing amazingly well, but still tons of you know, medical issues that she's going to have to overcome. So please keep them um, in your prayers. And if there's opportunities to support or whatever, they need something or, you know, um, the church has already supported, you know, bought them a bunch of meals while they're, while they're all at the hospital. And we'll continue looking for ways that our church family can be, be a support to them. I think Emily is watching or will be watching this if she's not watching this right now. So a special word to Emily. We love you. Church, your church loves you. We're in your corner, we're praying for you, and so thank you so much, church, for, I knew this was going to happen. We love you, and uh, we are in your corner, and we got your back in prayer, and I wanna, we're going to pray right now, and I want you to join me as we pray, and there's something about, I heard a pastor say something that I couldn't fathom at first when he was describing this. I was in some meeting or watching something online, I can't remember what it was, but he said, prayer has weight. Prayer has volume. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was describing this idea that, hey, there, there's this passage in Revelation where it talks about this bowl of incense, right? And the incense is the prayers of the saints that are accumulating. And once it's full, they poured it out on the earth and things happened on the earth. And so this idea was like, hey, our prayers make a difference. You praying makes a difference. I've seen it. We were praying, I've seen it many times, but I saw it so much over this last, this last week. And God is sovereign, right? God's powerful. What God wants to happen will happen, but he works through our prayers in this, this way that I have trouble wrapping my mind around. God tells us prayer is powerful. And so when we feel like we can't do anything, we can always pray. And God works through our prayers. God uses them to make a difference. God, you know, prayer moves the hand that moves the universe is this old quote I remember hearing once upon a time. And so please continue to pray. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers will help Emily. Your prayers will help her family, her parents, her siblings, her extended family. And so please keep that up and we're gonna pray right now. So please join me as we pray for her and her family. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, and we thank you for preserving the life of Emily. And Lord, I lift her up right now. Um, Lord, I pray that she would feel a sense of closeness with you, a sense of the fact that you are there with her in the room, in the hospital room. You are near her. You will never leave her nor forsake her. You were there with her in the crash. You will continue to be with her as she recovers. So please, Lord, the same hands that knit her together in her mother's womb, Restore her body. Give her a full function of, of her limbs and, and, and hands and arms and everything, Lord. Just restore her to full health. We ask this. Um, and we, we're told we can ask this, Lord, that we can come before you in the name of Jesus, the healer, and ask for these kind of blessings. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you would also just be near her family, Lord, her parents. Jenny and Scott, give them the endurance and the, the, the energy they need to be there by her side and to, to love her and to help be a part of her care team and talking with medical people. And Lord, for all of her siblings and all the other family uh, that are there right now and the family that wishes they could be there right now, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage them and lift them up and comfort them during this time. We praise you. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God, my Father. 
You have been faithful. You will continue to be faithful. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Let's do that. There's another prayer request that's kind of a big deal right now. We were going to pray for Israel as well at the end of the service. So if we can combine those two things. Yes. Okay. Thank you. There's a card on the back table that you can sign out there as well that we'll get to her. Thank you so much, church. I really appreciate um, just that sense of feeling like all that support. We felt it. People literally all over the world praying for her, thousands of people. Um, So thank you. Now I'm going to try to preach a sermon, so wish me luck. (laughs) I think it's a good one. I hope it's a good one. We'll see. If you had to describe the Christian faith, and, and I only gave you one word to do it, think about that for just a moment. One word to use to describe what we believe as followers of Christ, what word would you use? You can say it if you want to. Let's, let's hear. What's that? You said love, okay. Grace, salvation, redemption, mercy. Those are great words. Uh, did someone say faith? That was another one that I thought of, right? I was thinking, okay, if you're going to use one word to describe the Christian faith, you could wor- use words like what we've been saying. You could wor- use words like grace, gospel, You know, when you're asked a question as a little kid, if you were in a Sunday school class and the teacher asks you the question, what's always the answer to the question? Jesus, right? That's a great word. It's a name, and so maybe you didn't didn't say that one. But some of those words that we offered take some explanation, right? You go like, well, grace. I I think I know what that means, but what is that word? Is there a word that kind of stands on its own? It's like Jesus. What if you've never heard of Jesus? What if you've never heard the word gospel or redemption, things like that? Some of those words require explanation. And the one I'm going to give you that I think makes a really good um, one-word explanation of the Christian faith has already been spoken this morning, and it's love. I, I love that answer. That's a great word. I, would suggest, I was going to suggest that, and it was already suggested, so thank you. If we were going to use one word, I think love is an appropriate one to use. And you can tell our story through this concept of love, right? God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? First John 4, 7 through 9 takes this word and describes it, um, even how we respond, how we live as a result of the love that we've received. First John 4, 7 through 9 says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Right? If you want to tell the story of our faith through one word, love is a great one to use. But sometimes love can be sort of a squishy idea, right? If we, 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 we love the word love, right? We love the concept of love. We, we, we get that, and it, but sometimes we can distort it. There can even be counterfeits to what real love is, biblically love and things like that. Love can be a squishy idea, and we'll get to that in a few moments as we open up in Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or devices, you can prepare for going through the scripture with me uh, in Romans chapter 12. 
It'll be on the screen, obviously, right? I mean, we do that every week. It's on the screen. But I, there's something about looking at it in front of you and being able to focus and, and dial in on certain things. Or maybe there's a passage that you, you know, we've already moved past it and you want to focus more on that. So I encourage you to have some way of following along on the scripture. I think paper Bibles are better because you can't play Angry Birds on a paper Bible during a sermon. Um. And there's something tactile about it too, right? It's like a, you, you, you feel it, you can you remember where things are on the page and stuff like that, right? We're closing in on the end of our study. We've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, we started before the summer. We're going to continue, but we're, we, we are bringing this plane in for a landing at some point. If you're ready to move on from Romans, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, second of all, I get it. We've been in here for a while, and we'll, we'll, we'll go move on to something else after we're done with this series. I've enjoyed it, though. I've loved going through this book together. It's been hard. This has been one of the hardest books I've taught through just because it's so, there's so many concepts. It's so rich theologically, and so it's been challenging putting these talks together, but I've loved it. I've learned a lot. I've, I've grown in going through this study, so really enjoyed it. Now, I'm going to give you a little heads up on what, here's something I have a request of you, something I want you to do, and we'll come back to this later um, in our time together. But we're going to read through the end of chapter 12, starting in verse 9, going right to verse 21. And I want you to pay special attention. Is there something in here for you this morning that God in particular wants you to focus on? I want you to pay special attention to this list. And it'll make sense as we get into it. There's 24 commands, quick commands that are given. But is there one that maybe God's putting a spotlight on for you this morning, that God wants you to pay special attention to, that God wants you to have your heart open to a particular one of these 24 commands? Sometimes the Holy Spirit does that, just spotlights something. I've, no, I've never seen it literally, but I mean, you know, that, that, you, that I've never seen it. My Bible's never glowed is what I'm trying to say, right? But, but this idea of God spotlighting something like, whoa, that one is what I needed this morning, right? So... It, look and see if that's the kind of thing that he might have for you. So we'll, I'll start reading here in verse 9. We'll go to the end of the chapter, and there's a lot of uh, helpful things in there for us today. So here we go. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's something like 24 quick commands. This style of ancient writing, by the way, that Paul is doing here is not something that only was in Christian documents or Christian letters. This existed in the ancient world, just kind of a list of virtues or commands. It's a particular way of writing during this time that people would have recognized during his era. Um, 
And I want to say as well that I, I use this word frequently in, in sermons, but it's the word context, right? That, that context is really important. When you're reading the Scripture, when you open God's Word, context matters, right? And I just mean by that word context, like what happened right before this? What happened right after this? Where is this in the book? Where is this in the chapter? Where is this in the flow of the story of Scripture? Who is he writing to? These are context kinds of questions. And the more we're able to think about that as you get into studying the Bible— the better you're able to understand what the Scripture is teaching, the points it's making, and things like that. And I say this, I make this point about context, because a lot of Christians or a lot of people outside the church will read a passage like this and they'll go, I knew it. Christians are just about this list of rules. That's all Christians care about. Do this, don't do that. But this is in the context of the book of Romans, where Paul has been just unpacking in depth what God has done through Jesus, what salvation looks like, how salvation works, how, how God has worked with the people of God through history. He spent 11 chapters on this. This is what God has done for you. So in light of what God has done for you, this is, this is how we live our lives as a response to the goodness of God. Because there's so many commands here, it makes it a little challenging to categorize. Like, how do you teach through 24 commands? I don't have a 24-point sermon this morning, for example. But there, there are, I think we have some help with this very first verse in the list. The first item on that list. Let love be genuine. And we propose that love is a really good one-word description of the Christian faith. But then it says, love, let your love be genuine. So this passage, and I think the list, each one of them will fit in some way into this idea of love. Genuine love. Real, true love. How can you love the people around you? What does that look like? How to love people in your surroundings, in your family? And then at the end of this chapter, how can you even love people that are enemies to you? Or who treat you as their enemy? And then how can that love be genuine, right? Which implies that there's a counterfeit. That there's a kind of love that isn't true love. And when I think about this idea of counterfeits, I always remember, and we've taken several youth missions trips to Mexico and over the years, and usually as a part of that missions trip, we will end up in a market of some sort doing souvenir shopping on our, like our free day or in the evening after our work is done or something like that. We'll end up somewhere where there are sunglasses for sale. And you will see amazing deals. And there's no prices on them, by the way. It's like, how much are these Ray-Bans, in quotation marks, right? And you'll be shocked to discover that it's like five bucks to buy a pair of Ray-Bans or Oakleys, you know, and, and these sunglasses. And they're kind of a fun thing to, sou to souvenir shop for. But they started out at 20, but you, they'll probably eventually sell it for five, and you can kind of haggle a little bit. And, but you will find, once you take those Ray-Bans home, uh, that they don't hold up like maybe the you know, really expensive pair of Ray-Bans would. Um, and, and I remember when I was a young man in the Navy, we, I went to this um, outdoor marketplace similar to the ones we see in Mexico, and there were all kinds of designer clothing items on display, on hangers and stuff on, on, on these, in this area, in this market. And I was so just amused by the misspellings on, on, on these items. It just brought me so much joy. I was like, Clavin clean? What does that mean, you know? Tr clearly, these were counterfeits. They were not the real, genuine 
article, there's also a counterfeit to love. And because love is an idea that can be vague um, and it has counterfeits, we have to be careful that we are offering genuine love to the people in our lives. Genuine Christian love is a response to the love of God. It, and, and it's not a feeling, right? It's not just a feeling. It's, some might say it's more than a feeling, right? Which was the, written from that old hymn written by Boston, the famous hymn writer, you know. It's more than a feeling. It's actually a choice. It's a decision. It is willing the good of the other person. It is sacrificial. It's wanting good for the, uh, for the people that you are directing your love towards. And it's so important that that next command is included in this idea that it abhors what is evil and it holds fast to what is good. When we think about love in these terms, we, we might need to be more nuanced in the way that we express our love than we might want to be. This makes it more complicated. How can you love in a way that hates evil? In, in other words, that will not love someone in a way that allows them to do evil or continue evil. If you think about this in terms of addiction, it, it, it brings some interesting questions up. Right? Someone that's in the throes of addiction and wants money from you, it may not be loving to, to enable them to buy something that could be a fatal dose of something. Right? The, the Christian love hates evil, and it might come across as unloving, but that love would be counterfeit love if we applied our love in that way. And there's no shortages of examples of people who, in the name of love, will encourage people down all kinds of destructive paths. They'll say, like, hey, it's not very loving to say I shouldn't do that. You say, well, I love you too much to not say that you shouldn't do that. I think I worded that funny, but... Hopefully you get the idea, right? I thought you were supposed to be about love. We'll hear that critique often because we say, hey, this will hurt you. This is against what God wants for you. And if genuine love hates evil, then it can't encourage evil. I wish I could go into depth on all, each of these things, but it would have been a 24-point sermon, and I can't do that. Uh, I don't have the time for that this morning, but there are a few of these that I'll highlight as we, as we move on. This next one, uh, uh, there's this, I don't know if it's the next one, but it's the next one I'm going to talk about. It talks about outdoing, uh, okay, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And I just thought that, that concept was fascinating. Honor people. Find ways of just speaking to the dignity of people and your respect and love for people. And, and I believe that people are under-encouraged in our world. People walk around in low-level despair quite often. And you could honor someone or encourage someone in a way that lifts their spirits above this low-level despair and the pain that so many people have. I, I, I think, and it's maybe not as complicated as we might think. Uh, there was a video that I was going to show you, but I was running late this morning because we've had a crazy week. Um, but there's this, this guy on YouTube who plays this character, and he, he goes around just complimenting people. <laughs> And they're really unique compliments and then records their reaction and uploads it to YouTube. And he's a, he's a comedian, but they're always very kind. Like he'll just comment on people's, the way they dress that day. He's like, they took some little effort and I will make a humorous comment that hopefully brings a smile to their face. And I think in doing that, he's honoring them. 
I'll see if I can share that video to our maybe Facebook page after, after the service. But I, I, I like this idea of just you being able to lift someone's spirit. What if someone in the service industry did a particularly effective job in helping you with your purchase? And just making a comment about that and honoring them in some way. Hey, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much for helping. I appreciate how you went out of your way to help me out. People are under-encouraged. And then it says, outdo one another in showing honor, which is just, it makes me laugh. It's like a competition. Like, no, you're amazing. No, you're amazing. You know, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I just enjoy that. You know, I think that's great. Then there's this encouragement to engage in these Christian practices, right? Hospitality, generosity, prayer. And then he says, be fervent in spirit. And specifically, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. And this speaks to this idea that, hey, we, there are times where our passion for God, the fire gets a little low and it needs to be fanned into flame. Because we need, and this world needs, people who are on fire for God. Do not be slothful in your zeal, but be fervent in spirit. And there's this warning about pride, you know, an encouragement to associate with the lowly. You know, pride's one of our major enemies as humans. And there's this encouragement to associate with the lowly, the people in humble circumstances, to see yourselves as being with them and being near them and being a part of what they're doing and, and kind of where they are, and not seeing yourselves as above them. And then in verses 14 through 16, somewhere in verses 14 through 16, there's this pivot point between loving the people around you that are either neutral or maybe in your corner to those who wish you harm or cause you harm. Surely God might excuse us from loving the people who hate us, right? Right? I seem to remember a person who's a pretty big deal to us saying, love your enemies, right? We're told to bless those who persecute you, saying we're told do not repay evil for evil. This is the world's way of dealing with people. If someone treats me poorly, I will treat you poorly. If someone treats me well, I will treat you well. The Christian way, the Christian ethic being described here is if someone treats you poorly, you still treat them well. And this is challenging, right? This is really difficult. The very end of the passage here, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this is profound. And I've got a shout out to my old friend, Tim Keller, who's with the Lord now for special help on this part of the sermon. Because there was one sermon that was just so amazing about this concept and how to deal with people who wish you harm or people who treat you as if they're your enemies. And maybe you consider them your enemies as well. But how do you engage in these difficult kind of environments and these difficult situations? You know, if we, do, if we do evil for evil, someone treats you badly, you treat them badly, it just keeps a cycle going. And this is relational too, like any relationship you're in with a sibling or a friend, coworker, you know, husband, wife. Um, if someone treats you badly, and you treat them badly, you keep the cycle going. The only thing that disrupts the cycle is you treating someone good for evil. That's how the cycle is disrupted. That's how you are not overcome with evil, but you overcome evil with good. 
When you engage in a situation where you're, you're genuinely treated in an evil way, you are persecuted. You are treated poorly for no reason other than this person hurts you. You have three options. Right? One is to withdraw from evil. Just sort of run away from it, which allows it to continue. One is to return the evil, which feels good in the moment, but keeps that cycle going. You become a part of the problem. The third way which I think this scripture is teaching and Tim Keller talked about in his sermon is to engage with it in some way, in a way that stops it, in a way that breaks that cycle. He says, bless them who persecute you. Treat them with kindness. And in order to do that, we have to have a real strong sense of who we are in, in God and how God sees us, that we are worthy of value and respect and God's love And that even though this person may be assaulting all of that about us, we don't need to engage and continue that. As a parent, I witnessed this whole returning evil for evil thing. I mean, hypothetically, let's just say hypothetically, my kids never treat each other poorly. But have you ever been in a situation, right, where your your kids, the kids are both yelling or crying from the other room and you're like, something happened here. You try to get to the bottom of it. And one, he hit me or she hit me or whatever. And it, and it started out usually one child was totally in the wrong. But the other child that was treated, treated poorly, you know, reacted against them. And now they're both in the wrong, right? If you're a parent, you've been in this situation, probably a parent of more than one child. Um, or even a child with, uh, you know, on the playground with somebody else or a friend of theirs, right? This situation, we see it. Well, I'm like, but now both of you are in trouble. Where before, if you would have been able to restrain yourself from returning the evil, just that one would have been in trouble, you know? Paul says to treat our enemies with kindness. If there's a need they have, help meet the need. He says, bless them, which seems to be this idea of praying for them. Right? Pray for those who wish you harm or pray for those who treat you like enemies. And here's, here's the, the power in this. It's really hard to hate someone that you're praying for. Right? Even if, Tim Keller said in his sermon, even if you're praying angry prayers like, bless that idiot, Lord, help them to see the wrongness of their ways. You're even part of the way there already. You're praying for them. Maybe God will continue to soften your heart towards them and things like that. And this requires us to love. This requires this kind of love that God has shown towards us, but it also requires trust in God's character and in his justice. And he tells us in this passage, do not avenge yourself. He's quoting Old Testament passage, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We don't need to take vengeance. We don't need to even the score. That's actually God's responsibility is to even the score when we're treated poorly. You know, the uh, Old Testament ethic on justice was that this phrase, eye for an eye, would maybe sum it up. And when we read the New Testament, the ethic is to turn the other cheek. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek, which is to remain engaged like this scripture is talking about. We're engaging with it. We're not returning the the insult or returning the injury. And by the way, when you think about the Old Testament ethic, an eye for an eye, some people get uncomfortable with that. They go, that just seems so brutal. But you have to remember, again, the importance of context, that this was said during a time in human history where retribution was not equal. 
right? If someone strikes someone and they lose an eye, then that person's eye should be taken. It would have been above and beyond. And so God was placing this just way of dealing with conflicts in their nation and in that people group that would have been a breath of fresh air during this brutal time in human history. It's more fair than we might think it to be. But here in the New Testament, Jesus raises the bar again. And Paul, kind of speaking about Jesus' ethic of turning the other cheek, we recognize that we are not God. Vengeance is his. Vengeance is not mine. And then he says, if possible, live at peace with everyone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That we are to be peacemakers as much as possible, which implies that there are times when it's not possible. And I think about people in the military or even police officers that read a verse like this, that for them, they're going to know there are times it's not possible to live at peace with everyone. But as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So earlier in the sermon, I asked you to be thoughtful about any of these areas, and we've touched on some of them, but not all of them, that God might be spotlighting for you. Is there an area that God was kind of bringing to mind for you? And this list is difficult. This is so challenging. But if there's any of these areas where you feel like that one in particular, I'm having a really hard time with, I want to talk about where we find the resources to help us with these things. Because this list is challenging. In fact, I I would say it's impossible without God's help. Is it just try harder? Like, yeah, I'm not very forgiving. I need to work on forgiving people. Or I don't maintain peace with the people around me. I return evil for evil. I I am overcome by evil instead of being overcoming evil with good. Whatever it might be. Is the answer just try harder? Okay, next time I'm in that situation, I'm going to try harder. I don't want to say that it doesn't involve effort and maybe a great deal of effort, but if that's your only solution is to try harder, I want to offer you some some divine reinforcements on this, some help for you on this. I want to encourage you to look to the cross. Right in our church, we have a cross as a reminder, of course, of this incredible act of Jesus and this gift for us, him offering his life for us and then giving his life to us so that he might live through us. And the only one to perfectly live out what Paul has been talking about, to offer love not only to those close to him, but also to his enemies, was Jesus Christ. And he's the one who calls us to follow his example and to live our lives in a way that matches or models what he's lived. And this ethic, that, that this New Testament way of loving people that we've been studying today, Jesus got there way before Paul in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus lived this ethic perfectly. Um, even loving his enemies, right? Did Jesus love his enemies? Yes, I'll give you a real specific example. Jesus, not only was he the one who said, love your enemies, but we were his enemies before he brought us into his family. Romans 5.10 that we studied earlier in the summer says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
Jesus modeled each one of these things, and he's not just our model, but he's actually the one who empowers us to live this way. He's the one who wants to help us live this way. The cross starts as this kind of concept for us, we, but then it becomes a resource, which is another thing that Tim Keller said, that the more we understand what Jesus has done for us, the more we will live our lives in a way that matches who he is and what he's done for us. In uh, Romans 12, 1, where we started off this chapter, we've been studying it for the, for the last three weeks, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, by the mercies of God, the appeal is based on everything that Jesus has done for us. And because of that, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And that's the way that we worship him. So we receive it and we live it. And if there's any of these that have been spotlighted for you as we've been going through the sermon this morning, I want to encourage you uh, to present it to God as we come before him in prayer right now. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this teaching about like this, this New Testament ethic, this way of living out the grace of God and what we've received and, and extending it to other people and living in a way that we love not only those that are easy to love, but those who are more challenging to love. And Lord, in doing this, we disrupt this cycle of evil that our world is experiencing in so many different ways. So Lord, help us with this because we cannot do it on our own. We can try, we can, we can maybe do good for half a day or something in our own efforts, but what we really need is your spirit and we need to, to behold your goodness and be transformed, that we might see you for who you really are and that we might live this out in a way that honors you. And Lord, fill us with your spirit, fill, us with, fill our vision and our hearts and our minds with such, um, just such a big picture of you that, that we, it just fuels us. It provides the fuel source that we need to live in this way that you're calling us to live. And Lord, any of these particular areas that we might, might fall short on, Lord, re, reinforce us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to love you more. Help us to love the people around us more. And Lord, I'm remembering as well that I, I meant to pray um, during our prayer time at the beginning of the service as we were praying for, for Emily. Lord, I wanted to pray for her the families of her friends that lost their lives in the plane crash, Lord. And so I lift them up to you right now as well. And I pray that you would be close to them, that you would offer them comfort and encouragement. And Lord, Macaulay's family, Barrett's family, Lord, I, we lift them up to you. And I pray that you would bring healing and hope to them as they're grieving, going through such a difficult uh, process right now. And, and Emily, Lord, with the loss of her friends, would you comfort her as well? Lord, we want to offer up our worship to you. We believe that as we behold your glory and your goodness, we become transformed. That's what your word says, Lord, that as we behold your glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the other. And so, Lord, we have a lot of reason to praise you. You've been so faithful to us. You have been good. And we're grateful for um, your kindness that you've shown to us, Lord, most fully by Jesus' death for us on the cross and then his triumph over sin in the grave and his resurrection. Lord, may, may our hearts always be close to that moment and to that reality and live that out. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never received you, I pray that, Lord, even right now in this moment, 
they would say, yes, I need that. I need that in my life. I, I'm living my life out of my own effort. I'm living my life for my own purposes and I need someone new to take control. Or if there's anyone in that situation, I pray that you would bring them into your family right now with open arms and may they feel that, Lord. May they receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith offered to them. They might put their trust in you and receive the forgiveness of sins that you offer. And Lord, for all of us that are in your family already, Lord, we, we just want to live that. Lord, the more our life matches what we've been talking about this morning, the better the world will be, the better our circles will be that we are a part of. So Lord, with your help, let us live this out faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.